The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. It's good to see you all today. I hope you've had a great week, and um, I'm encouraged to share the word with you today, That uh, something that's been heavy on my heart for some time now. Um, The Bible says that even a fool seems wise if he keeps his mouth shut. So sometimes if we could just be quiet, <laughs> we could impress a lot of people. And so I've, I've taken that uh, counsel from the Word over the last a month over the events that are happening in our society. And really, as I've shared uh, over the past few weeks, that, man, I, I, I'm really trying to stay in tune with the Lord and, and, and praying a prayer daily. Lord, help me, help me to be silent when I want to talk but you want me to be quiet and help me to speak up when I want to be quiet and you want me to say something. And, and so I just have been resting in that for, for several weeks now, waiting on the Lord to lead me as I've thought deeply about the um, things that are going on in society and what the Lord would have me to say and how he would have me to respond. And he sort of brought me to this place where I want to teach a little bit today that, that I think will help us uh, gain a good biblical understanding and perspective just from a theological perspective as God looks down um, and as he sees all that is happening in, um, in America and, and throughout the world for that matter. What does he see? How does, how does he perceive it? And then how are we supposed to be functioning in the midst uh, of all of this chaos? Now, uh, as, we, as we get into this, there's no doubt um, that we need to understand something is that that we, we tend to view the Christianity through the lens of American, being American and an American Christian. And we need to be reminded that Christianity existed long before America did, okay? And so Christianity is not an American religion. And so you're not an American Christian. I am not. I am a Christian that happens to be an American. And that's important because I belong to a kingdom, and I function within uh, that kingdom as a citizen of that kingdom. When I say that I believe in the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior, then there's a shift that must take place in my life. And that is why uh, Jesus talks about these transformational things happening. You must be born again. That's a transformation of the soul. And so I'm no longer the same as I was before, Uh, I met Christ. I'm different. I'm now a citizen of the kingdom, and there are certain expectations that the Lord has for me as how I function within the society I live. And it's Jesus first, and then it is the nation second. And so I, I have to walk that out, and that's why it's so important to be in the Word so that we know how to live. Now, our society is fractured, um, and it's unsettling. It's very unsettling to see what's happening. And if you pay attention you sort of have to check out from time to time because it can make you really, really discouraged. You watch and read about the things that are happening in different cities and even in our own city and where you're at on the whole spectrum and how you're supposed to process through this. And it seems very chaotic. Um, and, and part of the reason for that is because people are talking past each other. There's a lot, of, there's a lot being said, but there's very little being heard. And that's because people are just... They're screaming and shouting, and they're going right past one another. And, and what we need to understand 
is as, as believers is that unity cannot be accomplished unless people understand each other. Like it's, a, it's the reason that we see um, things being severed in business, in families. It, it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's people have to be able to understand one another and communicate. And so today we're going to unpack some truth, a lot of it, okay? So some of it I think is going to be on your screen. Um, I would encourage you to, if you have your Bible, get that thing out because we are going to get down in there today, okay? All right, so we're going to drill down and I'm going to teach you some things. And hopefully it doesn't take me a, a terribly long time, but I think it is a worthy investment of our time this morning to really dive into this and make sure that we are uh, being obedient to what the Lord has called us to. And so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 11, and I alluded to this a little bit last week um, during the sermon. And, and so we're going to start here in Genesis chapter 11, but to lead us up to there, there are some important things to understand. And, and today's message is, is called All Words Matter. Like all words matter. And this is very, very important. And so when we look at uh, Genesis chapter 10, or 11, I'm sorry, leading up to that, there's, there's, some, there's several significant events that have happened to humanity. One is they were created, okay? So God created Adam and Eve. He places them in this position or, or location of paradise, gives them a command be fruitful and go and subdue uh, the earth. That is known as a cultural mandate, okay? We are, have been mandated by God to subdue and have dominion over the earth and the things of the earth and to live out according to what God's desire is. And so God created us in his image. We call that the Imago Dei. So every human being is an image bearer of God. And he placed the humans in the Garden of Eden, a place of work and a place of paradise, where you worked and enjoyed your work because you did not have to labor according to the sweat of your brow. You just, you labored uh, according to your creativity and, and just your enjoyment of the tasks that were before you. And so this is the way we started originally as human beings. And we know that Adam and Eve rebelled from God's command they did the thing that he told them not to do, and because of that, they were taken out of Eden. And there was a flaming sword that was to guard the tree of life. The tree of life would forever seal their fate in this sinful condition. That's why they were protected from partaking from it any longer. In the future, we know that we will once again partake from the tree of life after Jesus has decided, and the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have decided that the last person becomes a follower of Jesus, then Christ will return, and we once again will partake from the tree of life. But until that time, we're guarded from it, and so we suffer the curse of death. And so they were taken out of Eden. They continue to fulfill the cultural mandate, which is to be fruitful, and they have a child. And they're like, look at this beautiful little boy. Isn't he so precious? And they have dreams for the child, and they have another child. And it isn't very long before they realize the damage that was caused by their failure to listen to God as one of their children murders the other one. And Cain takes Abel out of the earth, and he murders him. And we know that the sentence comes down from God that once again, just like his parents were removed from Eden, he was to be a wonder 
You are to be a wanderer upon the earth, and I will put a mark upon you. And he settled um, east of Eden, okay? And so he settles in a place, and, and we see punishment happening. And then we know that as we continue to read through these first nine chapters of the book of Genesis, that the author tells us that the wickedness of man became incredibly great. Like mankind became very evil. And so sometimes we look at society and we go, man, geez, it's bad. It's been bad uh, before. It's been so bad that the Lord saw fit to take out humanity and spare only Noah. Now, there's something important going on. You have to understand that the population was much smaller than it is today, and the wickedness was very great, and God is communicating something else. And it's hard for us to think about God this way, but we have to understand we're human beings. We are subjects of his creation. We are not him, and his ways are not like our ways, okay? And so we look and we listen and we learn, and, and evidently things were so bad that this was necessary. But he spared Noah and his family. And he told Noah to build an ark. And he gave all of the people who were sinning and greatly sin, exceedingly sinning, he, he tried to get them to repent. They all made fun of Noah. They didn't even know what rain was. But one day the ark was closed, and those who were inside the ark were saved and those who were outside the ark perished. That is a picture of salvation early on in the creation story. Now, you will see this throughout the entire Old Testament. Over and over and over again, you will see the gospel showing up. It is a forecast of how God is going to save humanity. Noah goes through this experience, and then he uh, lands on Ararat. And, and he's safe, and, and the waters recede, and all of us are descendants. Like, this is a Christian worldview. All of us are descendants of that family, okay? So when, you, when we start saying white American, African American, Chinese, no, we are all descendants of that one place right there, okay? We're all together in this thing. Now, we look a lot different, but that's okay. White people look different from other white people. God likes variety. And so now we get to chapter 10. And what we find in chapter 10 is the table of nations. And so this is the descendants of Noah over a period of, of 100 or so years, maybe even longer than that. Um, we have the population has grown. And they have settled into tribes, and they have, they have settled into what now is being described as nations in Genesis chapter 10. And then we get to our text that I'm about to read in chapter 11, and it is all setting up that these different nations now exist, and out of those nations, God calls one man, and his name is Abram. And he makes a promise to him that he is going to become a greater nation than all of those other nations and any nation that has ever existed. And so he makes this promise to Abraham, and Abraham's wife can't even have kids. Another miraculous presentation of a foreshadowing of the miracle of Christ coming and God becoming a man himself, that, that God would be in this birth of this child. And so it was very important, and Joseph uh, is born to, you know, we got Isaac and Jacob has his 12 sons of which Joseph is one. And now we have the 12 tribes of Israel formed 
of which Joseph is sold into slavery into Egypt. There are only about 70 of them at this point, and so we're crossing the barriers of time right now. And now they are slaves in Egypt. Uh, Well, as Joseph goes there, he moves the family because he has favor with God and favor with the Pharaoh, and he becomes in charge of Egypt. And so the family is moved uh, to Egypt, and then over the course of the next several centuries, they grow into millions. The Jewish people grow into millions, all still rooted in the thing that God promised one man. So if you want to know whether you can trust the Bible, this is the history of Israel. Like, this is what happened. This is how they became a nation. There is no debating that. You can read other um, extra-biblical sources, and this is what happened. This is how they uh, came to be a nation. And God came down, and he raised up Moses to lead them out of Egypt. And in this leading out of Egypt, they were uh, going to become a, a free people, and he gave them a set of laws. And so now they're out of Egypt, they have a set of laws, they are to follow, and the promise is still intact. And it keeps going from um, the different covenants from Adam to Noah to Moses to David. And the promise is always the same. Abraham, they're all in there. I'm going to provide something for you, the seed of woman, something that will crush the enemy that has put you in this place in the in the first place. And so ultimately we know as we look at all of that and unpack all of that, eventually we get to the New Testament and Jesus is born through the line of David just as all of these prophecies said that would happen. And he comes and Jesus is the God man and 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 so we get up <laughs> to this point and I want us to kind of understand man as as we dive into this, this is what God is doing over like centuries. Okay? So when someone says, well, you read the Bible, it was written by a a group of men. They've lost their mind. You can't get men to agree on anything. And these men lived in different times and different centuries, did different types of jobs, and there's this incredible harmony. Why? Because God is communicating to all of humanity what he is like and what is the most important thing. So we come here now um, to uh, this, this story, the Tower of Babel. Now, just brace yourselves because we're not getting out of here at 11. And those of you online, you may need a potty break, okay? <laughs> if you, you, you ever watch, who, coolest rabbit that ever existed, Bugs Bunny. No doubt. There's no doubt about it. As a matter of fact, all other rabbits are evil, especially ones that get in our gardens. And so you remember Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd, all right? Do you remember what, not Doc, he didn't say, eh, what's up, Doc? Not that. What else did he call Elmer Fudd? A Nimrod. Remember that? What is it? Now, Nimrod, if I say, man, you, Nimrod, would you be encouraged today? No. Well, you should be. <laughs> you should be. Because, as I said, words matter and words changed. All the way up to the point of Bugs Bunny, Nimrod meant mighty hunter. All the way up to that point in time. As a matter of fact, you can, read, you can read articles out of the newspaper prior to Bugs Bunny, and it will be talking about, like, uh, a Nimrod was safe after such and such happened. And they're talking about a hunter. And so to be called a Nimrod was kind of a cool thing because in chapter 10 in the Table of Nations, there is a guy named Nimrod, and he's described as a mighty hunter before the Lord. 
Okay? Now, would you be encouraged if I called you Nimmer? <laughs> and so the definition has shifted over time. Um, but, but this Nimrod guy, he obviously, he could conquer beasts, but he was more a hunter of people. And so Nimrod, in this table of nations, when we get to the Tower of Babel, he is the founder of the city of Babylon, okay? And so he is a, a tyrannical leader who uses violence to control people. And when we get to the Tower of Babel, he is the leader behind what is happening in this particular thing. So now we are just now, 10 to 15 minutes in, getting into our first passage of text, of which we have three. Amen? Amen. This is what it says. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us, that's where we get the doctrine of the Trinity, one of the places in the Bible, there's a plural there, come let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. This is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Okay? So here's the deal. The population, the world, was smaller, and it had one common language. Everybody spoke the same language, and so they could easily communicate. It says that men moved eastward. This is very important because in moving eastward, that is the writer using um, language to tell us they were moving away from God. Every time eastward is spoken of in the Genesis record, it is a move away from God. Uh, when Lot chooses the land, it is east. He's moving away from God. Okay, so they are moving away from God. Um, and, it, and, and, and then we see that they had technological advancement. They figured out in a plane that they could make bricks by using the tar pits and, and creating a, a crude form of asphalt. They could make these incredible bricks. So they determined um, that they should build themselves. Now, this is very important. Let's build ourselves a city. Let's make a name for who? Ourselves. Let's build a tower to the heavens. And so what we have here is, I remember when I was a kid in Sunday school class, they would depict this lesson. I remember a picture just vividly imprinted in my mind, this huge tower going up into the clouds. That's not what was going on. They were building something like a, a pyramid out of these bricks, and it was reaching up toward, pointing toward he heaven, and it was a, to be a gateway that God could come down, and the gods would would descend down on the gateway and come out the bottom floor. And they had a, a crude form of the zodiac, 
okay? And so, like, if you like to, to follow your uh, uh, horoscope, it's rooted in this, okay? I used to read my horoscope all the time. Don't read it anymore uh, because it has its, its roots in something evil, all right? And so, that, then, so they built this thing, and what we have here is man-made religion, they're attempting to communicate with God in the way they desire to communicate with God, and they are doing things that God specifically said not to do. And, and so uh, they even, the point of the tower is, is that they don't get scattered away from each other. We'll always be able to find each other because we'll have this huge tower. Now remember, what did God tell them? Scatter. He's no, we want to stay together, Okay. And so God comes down and he confuses the language. And the reason that he does it is because they are setting a course of action as they're working together that it will forever take them away from God. So it is the same thing that he does when he takes Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and he protects the tree of life. He's confusing the language so that mankind will not um, easily be led astray and apart from God that they will have to depend on him and he's making a way for it to be easier for them to depend on him. So he comes down, he confuses the language. They stop building and guess what they do? They scatter. So you imagine you've been working for the last 10 years with some bro and you show up in the morning with your lunch box and you say, what's up? And he looks at you and he says something and he doesn't say, what's up? And you keep trying to talk to him, and he keeps talking to some gibberish, and you're like, what is going on? And you turn to the guy over there, and he can't understand either one of you, and he's saying something else. And it freaks you out, so you leave. And on your way home, you stop by the quick trip to get you a drink because you're trying to process all of this before you get home to your wife. And as you're in quick trip, you hear a guy, as he's complaining about the beverage machine, and you understand him. And you say, man, I, I, you start to talk to him. But then another guy over there is looking at both of you like you're crazy, gibbering, and he's talking to another guy, and they understand each other. And in time, people started forming these, these pockets that they understood each other, and most likely it was by tribes of the table of nations. And their language was confused, and they said, well, we got to get away from these crazy people. So they all went different directions because they all thought each other was crazy. Sound familiar? Okay, and so, so they, they, they're confused, they scatter, and in 640 B.C., okay, so several, like a, a long time after this, but 640 years before, the, before Christ arrives, God uses a prophet by the name of Zephaniah, and he makes a prophetic promise, and this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 9, then I will purify the lips of the peoples that all the, of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. So God is promising, I'm going to do something that's going to help the people uh, to be purified in their speech. And then we know Jesus arrives, he proclaims the good news. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, uh, so Jesus, he proclaims that he's come to heal the sick and the broken and to cure us of our disease of sin that was promised by God all the way back thousands of years ago to Adam and Eve. The seed from you will crush the, the, the head of the serpent. Okay, and so that's what Jesus came to do. 
And he not only does that, he dies on the cross of Calvary, which is a fulfillment of all things that were prophesied through the nation building of Israel. Throughout all of that history, God has said, this is what I'm like. Look at me. You can see me all over this. And so he, he proclaims a salvation message. Then um, he comes literally himself, and he dies on the cross of Calvary as the perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. Then, when all hope is lost and all of his disciples are severely discouraged, we know that three days later he rises from the dead. And when he rises from the dead, he starts to give instructions as he interacted with them for a period of days. And over 500 eyewitnesses will attest to the fact that they interacted with Jesus. And on one particular occasion, before he ascends back to heaven, he tells them, go and wait and you will receive everything that I taught you about while before I was crucified. It's coming, okay? So now we get to our second passage of Scripture. Amen? Acts chapter 2. I talked about this last week. I'm going to only read 12 verses. But listen to what's happening. Watch this in light of everything I've just taught you. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, what? God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They had been scattered all around, but God had made a way that they would be gathered back together because he required them once a year um, to come and observe a Passover. And so they, they're, they're from every nation. And, and, and so when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they ask, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Okay, so there's several significant things that happened in that passage of Scripture that connect to what I just said. First of all, we have these tongues of fire resting upon them. They are filled with the Spirit, and then they speak a common language as what the Spirit enabled them. Many nations are there represented, understanding all of this, and what was in <laughs> the Tower of Babel, confusing to everyone and scares them apart, they're, they're, they don't know how they're understanding each other. So before, they didn't understand how they were confused by each other, and now they don't understand how they're understanding everyone's different speech. And so it brings them to a point where they say, what does this mean? And thus we have the first sermon that was ever preached outside of a prophet or Jesus. And it comes from Peter, the Apostle Peter. And he preaches a sermon um, beginning in chapter 14 of our text. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to summarize some key points. And this is all going to make sense here in a minute. 
Amen? Amen. I think. This is what he says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. That's one of the key points of his sermon. Um, They ask when he tells them that they have killed God, who was Jesus, and God, it was God in the flesh, and that he rose from the dead, and God's hand was in all that, and they recognize it. The people listening to his sermon say, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized in Christ for forgiveness of sins. And what? Receive the Spirit. Okay, when they received the Spirit, the text goes on to tell us what the community looked like after they received the Spirit. So the church was born. They were devoted to the Word. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to prayer. And notice this. They had all things in common. Okay? Now, not only that, they had favor with people and the Lord adds to their number daily. So in a moment, with the fulfillment of all of the prophecy and Jesus dying on the cross, rising and sending the spirit like he said he was, Babel is shifted. It's been reversed. So now we couldn't talk the same language before, now we can speak the same language. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do with what's going on in our culture today? Now here's where I'm gonna tell you the takeaways. Attempting unity without God always leads to chaos and confusion. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what nation you are, it doesn't matter, it's America, Germany, um, Switzerland, uh, like China, it doesn't matter. Attempting unity without God leads to chaos and confusion, and that's why ultimately all of the superpowers of the past have fallen. They couldn't keep it together, okay? And that is also why I believe America came out of the ground so strong is because the people who came over here to settle this place, they cared about God. And they cared about everything that I just taught you. It was the central focus of their lives, so much so that they sailed all the way across um, uh, the ocean in order to come to this new land where they wouldn't be oppressed by people who were telling them what they should believe. And so the, the, the country came out of the ground, and, and God blessed it and honored it just like he did the nation of Israel. Now, we see this in marriage. Like, if, if a person... If a couple is married and one of the, 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 this attempting unity, okay, without God, it, it's like impossible. What happens often in a marriage is, is, is things will be broken and, and one of the spouses will turn to the Lord and the other one will not. And so what happens is they, they try to keep the marriage together, but the person who is not in love with the Lord resists what the person who is in love with the Lord, they're intimidated by it and they're speaking different languages. And so they can't achieve unity. And unless the other person hears a call from God and responds, and he is one who is all that call upon the name of the Lord and is saved, and he submits to the Lordship of Christ, they can never achieve the unity. And oftentimes that marriage will end in divorce. I've seen that happen over and over in my ministry over the last uh, 30 years. And so chaos and confusion enter because they are not speaking the same language. And what I want you to see is human language has been broken by God himself. Like that's what we see in this. God broke language. 
And so even if we still speak the same language, English, you speak English and I speak English, if I am trying to unify with you apart from God, it is much more difficult. But if we are both unifying around the gospel and our, the lordship of Christ in our lives, then we're no longer concerned about our rights. We're concerned about what is right. And so we can get behind things. All right, so that's the first takeaway. Here's the second takeaway. The language of God is the only real way to unify. I mean, obviously, if the, the first takeaway is that, so God has sovereignly ordained this. There's no way to get around it. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't work together and accomplish things, but the only real, genuine, biblical unity that can take place, which is God has created and, and ordained unity. And so unity in its purest form, the only way, that, uh, uh, the only, uh, way to achieve it is the language of God. Okay, so as a nation, watch this. We unify easily when certain crises happen. World War I, World War II break out, the nation unifies. 9-11 happens, the terrorists attack the World Trade Centers, they fall, and the nation unifies. Um, Hurricane Katrina comes through and wipes out through natural disaster, we unify. Um, COVID-19 breaks out, and what happened in the very early on in it, we unify. Okay? Now, why is that the case? It is because we are afraid because of things that we realize are out of our control, we can do nothing about and we need help. So therefore, we turn to God and start praying. So people who don't even, like, they never even go to church and they, you don't see anything about uh, obedience to Christ, they will start saying, I'm praying for you. You never heard them say anything like that before in their lives. But all of a sudden, this Joe Schmo, he's saying, I'm praying for you. And everybody's saying that. So we start to think about God. And when we start to think about God, and it, it alters our behavior, and we start acting like God, and we start loving people more than we love ourselves. That's why so many people engage after a disaster. It's in our DNA. We are made in the image of God. So even if we don't know him, we often yearn to act like him. So all of the chaos that we're witnessing right now is an attempt to reach out to God. People just don't realize they're doing it through a way that will never work because they're not speaking the language of God. And so as we, as we unpack this and see what happens in the process is that people, as they're thinking like God and they die to their self, the unity often fades, okay? And why does it fade? fade? Because people are desensitized to the trauma. So when trauma happens, you, you want to talk about something. To, uh, over and over. So, for instance, you growing up in, in your 20s, maybe uh, uh, you had a buddy or you had a, 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 a girlfriend. Uh, girls had these girlfriends and guys had these guy friends, and, and they go through a heartbreak. And man, they're just broken, just a mess. And you start talking to them, and they start saying, man, I loved her and this and that, and they did this. And then you'd see them the next day and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm pulling for you, bro, and let's get together tomorrow. And they say everything they said the second day that they said the first day. And by the fifth day, you're ready to just, like, beat your brains out. Because they're saying the same thing. And finally, you come to a point and say, bro, you're just going to have to get over it. Like you're like a big mush ball and that girl's never coming back to you until you figure this out. And eventually the guy quits talking about it. Why? 
he's telling the story because he's been traumatized by the heartbreak and he's desensitizing himself to the trauma. The same thing happens when a crisis happens in our country. We are traumatized, so we turn to God, and as we are talking and talking and talking and doing, we get desensitized, we forget about God, and things turn back to normal, and so we quit functioning the way that we were and the way we really were designed to function. Because... um, To speak, and here's your next takeaway, to speak and understand God's language, we must possess his spirit and submit to his word. It's the only way. You must, in order to speak and understand the language of God, you must possess the spirit. I showed you that in Acts chapter 2. As the spirit enabled, they were able to do the miraculous speech. The spirit, as they repented and believed, the spirit possessed them, and they had all things in common. They were able to unify. This is clearly taught by Peter in that sermon. Paul also teaches us in Galatians to be filled with the spirit and walk by the spirit. Here's our last passage of scripture. Amen. Galatians chapter 5. Now listen to this. I'm going to start here. Um, I said verse 12, I think, but I'm going to start in 13. That's where I'm starting. This is what Paul is saying to the church. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, listen to me, America. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And so we look at that, man, and he says to us, to possess the, like the, the key to this is possessing the Spirit and... And we can't miss this part, submitting to the word. It's the only way. As a nation, we are so far from this, we are teetering on the brink of implosion. It's not the way it's always been. More leaders in our history were able to understand and speak the language of God. In no way, shape, or form am I saying that people in the past were perfect. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that leaders understood and were able to speak the language of God because they were walking in submission to the Holy Spirit. 
What made Martin Luther King Jr. so effective was his ability to understand and speak the language of God. So that as he confronted the sin of racism, people who understood and spoke the language of God could hear him. And they responded. And they responded and, and, we, and we moved as a country. Okay, and so this is very, very important. And God, like he, like he impressed upon him and used him in a mighty way. And so we look at this and we, we go, well, there are many Americans that claim to be Christians. So what's the problem? Here's the problem. Your next takeaway. Claiming belief in Jesus while walking in the flesh is to babble. Babble literally means to confuse by mixing. And that's what Nimrod was doing. The building of a city whose maker was not God. And that's why God confused the language. Yet when we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, Abraham is accounted to him as righteousness as we're reading about the roll call of faith. And all of these people that are listed, it says of them, they were looking forward to a city whose builder and architect was God. Okay? So they knew they were citizens of another kingdom. And so God said to scatter, Nimrod rebels, and he tries to gather. So God confuses the language so that people cannot unify without his language and word. That's what he's attempting here. Now, here's what I am not saying. I am not saying we should not attempt to unify with unbelievers, okay? I'm simply giving a biblical perspective of what is happening in our society. I'm teaching how a Christian should live in the midst of a chaos, Right now, all words matter. And when you choose certain words, you align yourself with certain things that contradict the very word of God. And so the caution from the Lord is to be careful with your words. Be careful. Be careful if you say all lives matter. You alienate a group of people because they think that you're anti-black people. If you say, this is going to be real controversial, but I don't care, I'm a preacher, not a politician. If you say black lives matter, then you, you align yourself with a group of people that are radical and they believe things at the core of their organization, the, the organization itself. They believe things that contradict the word. So what should we do? Well, we should use wisdom. And I'm not, like, if you've said, like, I'm, I'm trying to teach, okay? I'm not trying to beat anybody up. But you, like, you will hear me say I love black people. I love white people. I love brown people. I just love people. Because I'm a citizen of a kingdom, and I am a wretched sinner who's been forgiven and been included in this kingdom. And I don't love because, like, like, I look at the world and say, that's what you should do. I do not have a choice. He is my king. And like he has included me, and so all of my words matter. And I believe that we should do things to stand up for any kind of racial inequality, whether it um, be against white, black, brown, it doesn't matter. We should be trying to do things to help brothers and sisters who are suffering, but we need to be careful with our words because if not... 
we become part of the problem and the very people who need to hear us talk about our pain are not able to listen because we're choosing words that align us with something we really don't believe. And I think it's so very important for us to understand the power of words. And so we should be careful. Here's your next takeaway, and there are only two more. People will never be completely united until Jesus sits on his throne. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and 33, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And what? All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And so what we learn is racism has no place in the kingdom. And so if you say racist things, you're violating the very things of the kingdom. It's all nations functioning as one family with Jesus. Like if you don't function that way, if you don't, if you don't look at people that way, if you don't look at the injustices that are done, man, like, like when I hear some of the stories about how black people are pulled over, like so many times and it takes 45 minutes, like that's a problem. When I look at what happened to this man and I talked about that in week one and he was killed, like that's a problem. The other guy is, he's literally on another human being. And so like we have to think about what can I do to bring um, solutions to the problems that exist in, in the world, but we also have to be as believers wise enough to realize the enemy is behind how we're communicating and he's taking advantage of the disunity and causing us to miss everything. We're not, we're not communicating and it's causing such a division that we are on the brink of implosion of the greatest country that has ever existed on the history of the earth. And so what do we do? We got to, man, like I got to figure out what is my role in all of this and what does God want me to do in the midst of it to bring healing? And, and so that's the last takeaway is citizens of the kingdom speak and live the king's language until that day. Like when Jesus comes back, man, every tribe, every tongue, every people group, they all started as one, and he's putting us back together. And we have to realize that that's the beautiful message of the gospel of Christ. When we submit to the lordship of Jesus, we die to ourselves. Jesus lives in us, and the way we interact with people is the way that Jesus would interact with people. And any time that we don't do that, we repent of our sin and try to bring healing to the situation. And ironically, when we think in terms of intentional discipleship, what that really is is scattering among the nations to make disciples that make disciples using the language of the kingdom. So if we ignore this mission of making disciples, because that's the only way you can get close to people. Like I'm so thankful for the people in our church that have been discipled by other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as we do that, then we're fulfilling the mission of Christ to go therefore and make disciples. And if we fail to do it, you know what you're doing? You're building your own Tower of Babel. So the big idea today is don't babble. Like, don't babble. Think about your words. Think about what you're aligning yourself with. And speak 
in a way that people who need to hear you can hear you. And so be careful. Be careful with your posts on Facebook. They're, they're nearly useless, okay? And, and spend some time. Like if you've never interacted with another race, spend some time doing that. If you've never spent time with black people, spend some time with black people. Like, and I don't mean, like, say, hey, bro. I mean, go do something with them. Like, let's do something as, the, as people in the kingdom that reflect what the kingdom actually is. And so as we think forward and we go, man, like, what is my role in society today? Like, your role is to be and give your full and 100 allegiance to Jesus and let him lead you and let him teach you about his language. Make sure that you understand what he's saying. Make sure that you're speaking what he's speaking. And, and sometimes it takes courage. Like we're not saying that, that when you speak the language of God, it's easy. But what we're saying is that when God asks you to stand up and speak out, make sure you're speaking his language. And let God, like, reprove, reprove you when you know you're not. And, and, like, look for ways to bring unity because, man, I'm telling you, the world is hurting. Like, the entire world is hurting right now. And we have the solution. And, and so, like, I'm going to ask you to bow in a spirit of prayer. Um as I've walked out in obedience with the Lord has asked me to do, and maybe you'd like to have a moment to come and pray, maybe in your home. You know, maybe some of you are worshiping with your family, and maybe you have a discussion and, and a prayer time about, like, how do you respond to this message? What's God calling you to do? How do you bring healing to all the disunity that's happening in our country today? And if you're here and you'd like to physically come and use the altar, they're certainly open, man. Um, like, uh, it's, a, it's a time for us to be broken as a people so that the Lord can heal us and we walk in the power and demonstration of the Spirit and bring unity, the only real unity that, that can bring solutions to the world's problems. And so we're just going to take a moment to give you uh, a time to, to pray as Sean plays. And then, and then we will close the service. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.